I'm Julia McFarlane, host of One Decision, the podcast that looks at the choices made that shape our world. Together with my co-host, the former chief of British intelligence, Sir Richard Dearlove, we unpack the key decisions, past, present and future, that matter to us all. We drop new episodes every Thursday. But today we're bringing you one more decision. Smart analysis of the latest breaking news around the world with Global Situation Room President Brett Bruin, who served as the White House Director of Global Engagement during the Obama administration. Over to you, Brett. We have Ambassador Cameron Hume, who led the U.S. Embassy in Khartoum for a number of years. Listeners will remember that Ambassador Hume joined us earlier in the year to discuss his work alongside Ambassador Bill Richardson, securing the release of WNBA star Brittany Griner from a Russian jail. He's been involved in a number of other similar cases of Americans detained overseas. But today, we focus on the situation, the concerning security situation in the East African country of Sudan. Ambassador Hume, thank you for once again joining us on One Decision. You ran the U.S. Embassy in Khartoum and would welcome your observations of what you see happening right now. And then particularly would like to understand how the involvement of foreign powers is playing out in this conflict. Sudan's a huge country and the way it's been run uh, throughout its independent history is essentially four or five, four tribes in Khartoum dominate the central government and try to rule the entire country. And that's led to splits and difficulties. So what's the role of the United States at this point? Well, I think it, we, we could go back a generation and we've had bad relations, limited relations with Khartoum because we've attempted to get them to shift some of their policies. First, this was because Khartoum was seen as supporting the bomb attacks against U.S. embassies in uh, Kenya and Tanzania. And then after that, there was the challenge of the fighting in Darfur, which is really a background to today, because Hemeti, one of the two contestants, there are two contestants for power, and they've both said only one of us will survive. That's the situation you have today. One is the head of the regular army. The other is the head of the rapid security force. And that comes out of the Darfur conflict. This paramilitary force was built up during the Darfur conflict. And we, that is the U.S. government, worked during the Darfur conflict and genocide, which we did. I have to say it was a messy, sloppy piece, but the two sides accepted it for the time being. These splits in Sudanese society continue. So today, you fast forward another 12 years, and what you're looking at is uh, two rival forces, and they're contending. And so what's the, what is your ability to deal with, to convince people, to persuade people that you've refused to talk to and you've sanctioned for a generation? I would say it's pretty minimal. So it's hard to see how U.S. diplomatic involvement can, quote, solve the problem now. But in the end, you have to have a government which uh, is supported widely by the people, and they don't have that either. And we can't overnight all of a sudden 
become the key power to bring these people together. Very difficult. And yet you see statements from Secretary of State Antony Blinken, uh, as well as other American officials that talk about in that sort of traditional hubris of Washington that we you know, will work actively to bring uh, hostilities to a close, that we're considering sanctions. And what I'm hearing you say is that we have very little leverage uh, over these two warring factions. And the question, I guess, then becomes who does have leverage and how uh, can the likes of whether it's the Egyptian government obviously uh, plays a role in supporting the army, as well as I understand Khalifa Haftar, the uh, Libyan uh, general who has been supportive of the RSF. So do they have to ultimately come to an agreement? And what pressure needs to be applied elsewhere beyond Sudan? Right. Well, we, we always talk about sanctions. I think they're hardly a recipe for success. They didn't work against Iraq. Uh, they haven't worked against Cuba. And I think the idea that they'd work automatically in Sudan is something I'd have to really be convinced of. It's just unlikely. You're right, there is outside support. And just say, what happened is there's an, an attempt at a coup d'etat. And usually you're either successful or you're not. And you know that within 48 hours. Well, they're beyond that now. As the conflict goes on, the two sides will become more beholden to outside powers because of their need for weapons and supplies. So the RSF has been uh, deployed in uh, Yemen and paid by the uh, United Arab Emirates and the Saudis. They were granted gold mines and they've been trading the gold in conjunction with uh, Russians in the Gulf. The regular military has more had more connections with the Egyptians. So, yeah, it's a mess. A mess that is likely to get messier. You and I uh, have both spent time at American embassies in Africa, including those that had to, in what we would say in diplomatic terms, draw down. There, There is discussion now of drawing down the official U.S. presence as well as trying to get out 19,000 or so American citizens from the country. How does that actually happen? Well, arranging departure for 19,000 people is, I, I think it's not practical in, in the current circumstances. Most of them would have to, quote, sort of go to ground. A lot of them would be dual citizens. Uh, and so they would have some family resources in the country. Uh, and they would, they'd, ha they'd have to rely on that initially. How do you get the people out? Well, uh, normally you, you would arrange for flights, safe passage, but the airports are closed right now. And the logistics of it would be very, very difficult in any case. And I would imagine if you have 19,000 uh, citizens in uh, Sudan, maybe 500 are people who work for NGOs. We provide an awful, a great amount of food aid to the Sudanese or who work at the embassy. We're talking 500 people, maybe. And then the other 18,500 would be people who have their own family ties in uh, Sudan. So those would be two different groups of people. But even moving 500 people when there's war taking place is not an easy task. They should be cautious. They should avoid 
jumping to conclusions and putting people at risk, moving through uh, a huge city. Khartoum is huge with no protection. They should be very cautious. Ambassador Cameron Hume, former head of the U.S. Embassy in Khartoum, Sudan, thank you for your perspective here on One More Decision. That's it from this World Update from the One Decision podcast. If you enjoyed this little conversation, why not check out our channel for our main offerings, which drop every Thursday. Just search One Decision wherever you find your podcasts. From me and the team, thank you for listening and see you next time.